Guys, guess who's on today? Maurice Bernard. It's Bootstrap Bitch with me, Alicia Coppola. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Yeah, this is great. We could talk all kinds of stuff, you know? Being actors and end all. You and I have a similar trajectory. You know, we started off in daytime. Mm-hmm. Started off uh, in 87, I want to say, on All My Children. It was uh, about 30 years ago. Right, so I think you were on from 87 to 90. Yeah. I joined uh, Another World in 91. And it's similar because your character, Sonny, was only supposed to be, what, like a six-month arc? Sonny, yeah, six months. And then, yeah, now I've been there 28 years. I think they're going to bring you out toes up um, with a tag on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I said I, I would leave when it got boring. It just hasn't gotten boring yet. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, Lorna was only supposed to be like a three-month arc, and that just turned into like a a whole monster. She just blew up this character. And I think there's something about Lorna and something about Sonny's characters where they're just really damaged, beautiful badasses. Yeah. See, I start out like horrible. I broke up Antonio Sabato and his girlfriend, the heroes and all that. And I gave drugs to a 16-year-old and I made her strip. It wouldn't fly now at all, you know what I mean? But I did it. And then I started liking working there. And I said, how do I change this? So I just changed the choices. So as you know, you can't just be that one color. What I had to do is show why he's doing it and the pain he has underneath. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting now we're talking about it. I remember doing a scene with the the actress and she was crying because her dad abused her. Well, I realized in that moment that my own dad abused me and the character's dad abused him. So I started crying, but it was weird because why is this bad dude crying? Right. And then a, a lot of other stuff happened after that. And I had a nervous breakdown and the whole thing. Well, I've been reading your book. I'm almost done. I mean, I think I have two more chapters to go. And I find that your story really resonates with me because I have suffered from anxiety since I was, I think, five years old. Really? Yeah. I I was tested for an an ulcer when I was five because I always had stomach aches. Wow. I always say the barometer of the world is in my tummy, like my my colon clenches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever the wind blows. What I'm learning as I get older and try to move through this life is that I live in a constant state of Mm. high alert. So I really relate to your, your coming out with bipolar, your struggle to get to that diagnosis, your, your childhood, just being in the home that you were raised in. Yeah. and, And struggling to find your voice and to find your voice as an artist. And I think it all goes hand in hand. Would you agree with that? Oh, completely. Um, Look, like I I always say, when you see your kids, you see what you've done wrong. If you look in the mirror and you don't deny. So if my mom and dad, I don't know if they would admit to anything, but and they loved me to death and I love them, but they made mistakes and we have to pay for it. And that's the problem. That's why with kids, you should just try to do it right. You think? Because we have to learn as we get older, right? Because uh, I had to break the chain of not laying 
a finger on any of my children. But whatever that feeling is to want to do that, it's still inside you. You have to just work on it and fix it. People that don't do that are the ones that are really harsh and the kids have to pay for it. And I think that's wrong. Well, you talk about that in your book with Joshua. And you talk about how he was not eating his dinner and he was on his phone and he was just being a total little uh, And he ran up the stairs and you were like yelling and pounding on the door because that's your instinct because that's what your father did to you, his father did to him, and his father did to that father. Yeah, right. But you did. You broke that cycle. Yeah, I broke that cycle. Thank God. And with Joshua, because now he's just become this kind of artist that's just like, what the hell? Music <laughs> and acting. And, but he's strong, man. And you can't go strength to strength. And I learned that with him because I, I wasn't getting anywhere. So then I started just trying to talk to him nicer and and more like a friend. And, and it worked. And then once he became an actor, now we bonded. But my girls, I keep talking about this and it, it saddens me. Um, I just wasn't affectionate. And I'm trying now. And you could tell, man, you know, when you you don't you can't because I know you've probably done whatever most people do, been affectionate and say I love you. And well, that's that's been hard for me. Very hard. About a week ago, I hugged Cassidy and she hugged me real hard. And I felt like, wow, man, I messed up because I haven't done this and she needs it. And last night, Kaylee, who really, when I even go to touch her, she stiffens. I can tell that. Mm. Last night, she came in the room and gave me a hug. And I felt like, wow. I, and I also felt like it's not too late. It's not easy when you've been brought up a certain way. And with Paula, my wife, she just accepted it. She knows I love her to death. My kids know I love them to death. But that affection and I say I love you and things I, I'm going to keep trying even though it's difficult I think I think that would be wise and I think yeah it's never too late well let me tell you this last anxiety that I had was uh, you know I've been through breakdowns and all oh, a lot of stuff but this last one lasted four months 24 7 did not leave even sleeping I was shaking like a leaf. I said, Paula, everything I've been through and what's this? I can't walk. And I had to promote my book. So I had to get up early and do Zoom with all these people feeling that way and trying to act like I wasn't. Mm. Unless you go through any anxiety, you don't understand what that is about. It was it was horrible. Now, I got help at the end. But I should have gotten help a lot earlier. This was four months of because I literally thought, just just kill me because I don't want to keep going. Mm -hmm. Paula said, honey, every time you said you can't go on 100 percent of the time you have gone on. That's right. That's why you're on bootstrap bitch, because you're a bootstrap bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but Lexapro saved my life, just like lithium saved my life with bipolar. I had Lexapro once. But then I couldn't orgasm. So I was like, what's the point of life then? <laughs> if I can't do that, I'd rather have the anxiety. <laughs> so I'm done with that. I was like, no, thanks. That's not going to work.
that's, that's funny. That's not going to work. It wasn't funny at the time. I was like, what is No, that? no. Yeah, that's amazing, though. Yeah, yeah. We get real honest on this show. Now, do you think that the lockdown brought on the anxiety? It all happened at once. My mom and dad were moving out of my place. It was we We're going through some tough times. They're, they moved out, and they're like 80, you know, and it's tough. My dad called me, and he said something that threw me off. And then my wife comes in. I'm laying down, and she goes, Honey, you're not going to be working. They shut down GH. And then she goes, You're not going to be promoting your book. You're not going to New York. And I'm like, Okay. And it's the end of the world, basically. The hat trick of doom. It was it was like all and I felt this rush. And after that, done, done, done. But, you know, the beautiful thing, not the beautiful thing, but the amazing thing about all this, at least for me, is when you go through that and you come out of it, you're just happy to be alive. You're happy to do anything because I just went through literally hell nine months ago. And now a lot of great things are happening. But when you're in there, you never think like that. You always think my career, my life, everything's over. And the beautiful thing about it with, is my son, I'll start crying again, because I never wanted to show that, that side to my kids, but I couldn't hide it because I'd have to go eat with them. It was pandemic. And then I'd be walking all weird and slow and they'd act like dad's in a state of mind. No pun intended. So Joshua, I remember in the car, I'll never forget, I'm crying and I'm looking at Joshua and, and I, I say to him, buddy, I don't think I'm going to make it. And he goes, what? I said, buddy, I don't, I don't think I can, I, can, I can go on. I said, I'm in too much pain and it's hard. And I can see it shook him. He goes, dad, you're going to do it. And then from that day on, he's very sensitive. He became like my second Paula. I didn't want them to leave the house because I didn't want to be alone because I didn't know what I, what I would do to myself. And I got to tell you, the thoughts, man, that you have, but here we are. You know, it is what it is. And you just move forward. One of my favorite sentences that you wrote in the book is that, that very thing that you're talking about when you're on the other side of it. It's like you have an angel living inside you. I loved that because that is what it feels like. Look, what you got to do, what I'm doing now, and I'm thinking about shit right now because I'm going to, to do a, a pretty big movie in, in uh, April to May. I got to get on a plane. I got to fucking work with, you know, new people. And you got to find your triggers. Yeah. So I just did something just now when I was running. I said to myself, and this is what you're asking, because I was running and thinking about being nervous about going or whatever. And I, anytime negative thought would come in my mind, I visualized putting it in a garbage can and taping it up. So you throw away those negative thoughts, however you want to do it. But that was hitting me in my mind. I saw a garbage can. I put the negative thoughts, tape it up and then go to another thought. I don't do things until it's too late, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but then I do it. I do it diligently, you know what I mean? Because I'm scared. 
but you got to do it. You got to do things beforehand. I talk about the engine, first gear, second gear. You always want to stay in first, second gear. You don't really want to go to third. It's all right. But if you forget fourth and fifth, you're done. Just how do we stay in first? Meditating. You got to stay in the moment is so important. Yeah. Because you're, you're probably like I am. We, we tend to one thought turns into another thought, into another thought. into. We got, I got to stop that. Yeah. I call it like piggybacking. All my thoughts piggyback. And I, I know. And then I can spiral. Yeah. Do you know Judson Mills? He's an interesting dude. He, he came on. One of the things that he told me is that I have to feel it. I have to feel what I'm feeling and not choke it down. Because if you yeah. choke it down, yeah. that's when you go to four or five. And that's yeah. what we're doing with meditating and letting yourself feel it. But there's levels, man. There's levels of anxiety. Hey. Because I, I hear the, what you're saying, the sitting in it. And I was sitting in it. And I was trying to. But, man, sometimes you just got to go and get professional help. If you have the other level, we sit in it. Like on a plane, I sit in it. You breathe, and then it goes. And then my wife looks at me, and it's cool. I don't fly alone, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to go to Morocco to shoot. Oh, man. Oh, I got to tell you. I had to go to therapy when I got back from Morocco. They flew me Friday and I was home on Wednesday. For two scenes, two scenes, I had to fly from LA to New York, New York to Portugal, Portugal to Marrakesh. A guy who only spoke Arabic in a van with chickens brings me to my hotel. I'm now hysterical, right? They call me that night and they're like, we're going to be picking you up and driving you an hour into the Atlas Mountains. I said, no, the fuck me or not. I'm not fucking going into the Atlas Mountains with the dude and the chickens by myself. I do my two scenes and I fly back. Marrakesh, Portugal, Portugal. When I landed at JFK, I literally kissed the ground and then got back to LA and was in the therapist's office the next day. How many hours of plane is it? It was like 40 hours. And at each terminal, it's like, this is it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm still back on the 40 hours on a plane. Oh, yeah. For two fucking scenes. Was it worth it, the scenes? No, and they cut one of them. One of them could have been done in Simi Valley in front of like a pile of dirt. That is, that is wild. And there's no way in hell you're going to get me on a plane for 40 hours. So I'm, I've never flown alone. I have to say this about your wife. If anybody had Paula by their side, the world would be a better place. <laughs> That's what everybody says. <laughs> now, listen, if they had flown Anthony with me, it would have been better. Oh, yeah. It would have been better because then I would have had my husband. Is she going to go with you to shoot? Yeah, Paula will go with me. She's always gone with me. Every job that I've had. Yeah. And I've had most of my jobs lately. In the last couple of years, I don't know what the hell's going on. At almost 60 years old, I couldn't get arrested for like 30 years. <laughs> when I thought I looked good and I was, you know, young, and I could, they were like, no, thank you. Now I'm going to be 60 and I'm getting jobs. But, but she goes with me. And Did Paula know what she was getting into? <laughs> I don't think she knew what she was getting into, but I did tell her early on. You have to understand, though, Paula's life before me was way worse. 
So she went out of the fire into the frying pan. Yeah. When you've been through, like Paula's child, I mean, we're talking drug addicts and father left when she was young, mother on heroin. When I first came to the house, there was like 12 people there. Like, But I said to Paul in the car, it's in the book. I said, listen, I don't care where you come from. Poor, rich, don't matter to me. I, I care about you. And you should be running for me because I just got out of a mental institution <laughs> and I'm bipolar. So she goes, I don't care. And I said, all right, then let's let's go for the ride. <laughs> but she was just like, what else you got? I can, I can handle that. Look what I just came from. You're exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what's funny? Up until this conversation, I've never really thought of it that way. I always just go with the joke that deal with Maurice or be bipolar and anxieties and all this stuff. But I never thought of, I'm nothing compared to. That's right. Because she, she tells me stories when she was a child and foster care and all that. Tough, tough. So. But look what you've given her. I mean, well, what you've given each other. You've been married for what, like a hundred years now? How Over many- 30 years, 35 years living together. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got beautiful children. You now have grandchildren. Yeah. You have a zoo of animals. You've created the life that she never had. And you broke. Oh, yeah. And you broke. And that's why she spoils everybody. Yeah. And that's her thing. But I let her. But I know why, because I know where it comes from. It comes from not having anything and that she wants. Like, do we need 30 animals? Yes. Yes, you do. Because Paula says so. And Paula can have whatever the fuck Paula wants. Oh, oh, man. Oh, shit. That's right. You're funny. That's I, I know you're funny. You can do comedy, drama. You can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. I can I, do it all. yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm a damn barrel of monkeys. I just say what I feel. I, I'm kind of like a tired toddler. I really don't care. Yeah, it's true. I, I'm, I'm getting that way where I just say whatever. I don't care. But. Well, no, but I used to be more serious. Yes. So I'm becoming lighter and maybe funnier, but I used to be more serious. Like, you're just like funny. It's just, I can tell it's in you that you're funny. It's like my dad, when I used to do appearances, my dad would be on the stage and I can be funny because I've worked it. Like, I'll talk about Buddy the Goat and it's like, talk about this, talk about that. But my dad just comes on Hey, what happened? How you doing? People just laughing, whatever comes out of his mouth. And I'm sitting there going, you're born with that, man. Am I right or wrong? I think so. But I think for me, too, when I was a younger actress starting out, I took myself very seriously. Uh, You know, I was very, very serious about everything. I don't do that anymore. I don't take myself as seriously as I used to. So therefore I let the funny out because I also see the absurdity of everything. You know, I mean, I see the absurdity of myself. The problem with taking yourself too seriously, and I've been there, is not healthy. No. For you, I've had to cut down my ego like there's no tomorrow because I think ego and anxiety are friends. They like each other a lot. And, you know, you got ego going, come on, you know, I'm, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest when not, something goes wrong and now ego comes in and says, oh, let me take care of you. You know what I mean? Because ego is a killer. When I used to take myself seriously, a lot of that was my ego. And I remember one time 
my agent said to me, you don't seem like you have a bad. I said, listen, my problem is I, I'd like to be king. There's nothing wrong with want to be king. I said, well, there is when you don't want anybody else to be king. You can't dim other people's light to make yours shine brighter. Right. Like now I'm happy. I wasn't like that like five, six, seven, eight years ago. You know, it's all about me. It's me. It's me. Now I'm really happy for everybody because but you got to find that in yourself. It's that insecurity. It's, a, you know, how you feel about yourself inside that doesn't allow you to be happy for other people. Also, I'm finally finding joy that saddens me that I never had joy. I never I never knew what that feeling was like. I never knew what it was like to look at a goat or your kids or anything and you start feeling moved real joy laughing like how we laugh right now that's joy i could only do that in moments with my family and people that i trusted really i couldn't now i could do it anywhere i go to the supermarket i just laugh and that's life right where are you at i want to know do you can you have that joy do you how do you i do I have a lot of joy. I have a lot of gratitude. Yeah. When you let go of the Marsha, 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 where it's all about us, like I'm over myself. Aren't you kind mm -hmm. of over yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After a while, you, you do feel I'm, like that, yeah. I'm, I'm over it, right? So I can find the joy. And that's also why you're getting these gigs now. Yeah. You're lighter because you're not shadow boxing with God. No. You're letting it go, yeah, yeah. You're letting it go. I just have a feeling that you and I, we could probably talk for hours. Oh yeah, forget it. <laughs> it's this has been a this interview's been really deep and good and in so many ways. You gotta bottle this up. I just want to talk to people and just have real conversations. Yeah. Because if I haven't seen you bleed, it's like I don't trust you. I know, that's right. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, like Jennifer Esposito said it really, really well. She says sometimes she feels like a boxer, and I know you can relate to this, who's bloody and on the mat, and everybody's saying, stay the fuck down. Just stay down. She goes, I don't stay down. I just keep getting up. Yeah. You just keep climbing the ropes until you're Yeah. And that's the whole point. These are the conversations I want to have. And you, you have pulled yourself out and up. Every time you come up, you're graceful. Yeah. And that's, that's a gift to what you do when you talk about the anxiety and the depression and the bipolar and all the different organizations that you work with. And this book is going to help so many people. And the fact that that General Hospital and the producers and the writers and you infused your character with it. You're a walking, talking billboard and a PSA for mental health awareness. Yeah, 30 years of talking. Yeah, you should never stop talking about it. Yeah. You've had the same job. In your darkest of days, you've always had that, and you've had that family. That's, a, that's like such a gift. Yes. Well, you can, you can just know that you have one person who loves you. I have like a whole clan. You do. So that's kind of like if you're a fighter in a gang or something, you know, the more you got, the better it's going to be because... This is my clan and they're a bunch of, I even got animals, you know. You have a whole universe of people who love you. Not to even mention the fans. I mean, you're like the Rocky of people. 
Yeah, you know, the, the fans have always been, uh, I, I guess when I was I got started in this, I just couldn't believe that people would be fans of, I didn't have a lot of self-worth maybe, because anytime I talk about the fans, I want to cry, because they just, they never let me down. I don't care anything that I do, they're always right there. I'm doing State of Mind right now, I went through YouTube, and they're rolling with me. I do this, they roll, they roll, they roll. And it's a beautiful thing to have. And you you probably know this. It's like a you have a thing with them. Yeah. And you just kind of know what they're gonna like, what not. And you in it, you know. I mean, social media, I wasn't into social media. I didn't have a phone. I was a year and a half late. And then people say, you should get on Snapchat. I ah, Snapchat's stupid. Got on Snapchat. I started doing weird stuff, talking like, you know, hey, like up, you know, whatever. And people started digging. Then I went to Instagram and I thought, eh. and then it's, you know, I put a goat on, I put my dad on and you just figure it out. And the fans, they tell me where to go, how to do. And, and the biggest thing has been mental health yeah. because, you know, you get responses and it's, it's getting a little interesting now because I'm not a doctor and people sometimes they, they write and they say, what do I do? I'm, I'm on the verge of committing suicide or something. And I'm like, Oh, you know, nine one will call, you know, but um, anytime I've ever felt like I wanted to, and I have, don't get me wrong, wanted to stop the state of mind because I get a response. And, and even this, this is the truth. I didn't talk, talked about much about this. The time, this past pandemic when I was kind of having these thoughts, you know, and that's when my wife said to me, you know, hundred percent and you've gone on and this, and this, and that. One of the things that kept me going was if I'm the guy for mental illness and I'm gone and I did something I wasn't supposed to do, how would that look to all the fans and stuff that, that like I let them down completely. Well, yeah, you can't tap out. Yeah, you can't tap out. <laughs> you can't tap out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not allowed to call uncle. That's right. You just can't. This is this is your path. Yeah. I have watched Maurice Bernard on General Hospital for years, and I've loved every minute of every one of his performances. When my husband, Anthony Michael Jones, played Father Coates to Maurice's Sonny and according to Maurice, actually helped him win his Emmy. Thank you, Anthony. Um, but to have him on Bootstrap Bitch and talk as candidly and as emotionally as he did about mental illness, his bipolar, his family, his it just meant the world to me. And I hope it means the world to you. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Bootstrap Bitch with General Hospital's Maurice Bernard. And uh, tune in next time for more Bootstrap Bitchin'.